It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Elsa Chang. Sam and Tamara are in New Hampshire. They arrived shortly before dawn, and we're letting them catch up on a little sleep right now. They're in New Hampshire because that's where all the attention is focused, now that the 2016 Iowa caucuses are history. So as I stand here tonight, breathing a big sigh of relief, thank you, Iowa. The people of Iowa have sent a very profound message to the political establishment. God bless the great state of Iowa. And New Hampshire, we will see you in the morning. Thank you, and God bless. We will be back many, many times. In fact, I think I might come here and buy a farm. I love it, okay? Thank you. Ted Cruz wins the Iowa caucuses. Hillary Clinton has a razor-thin edge. Marco Rubio gets closer than expected. Donald Trump apparently will go farm shopping. So what? Now what? We're going to talk about it. Like I said, I'm Elsa Chang. I cover Congress for NPR. And I'm Ron Elving, editor correspondent and journalist emeritus. I'm Don Gagne, national political correspondent. And I'm still here in Iowa. I'm coming to you from Iowa Public Radio right in Des Moines. And how's the weather over there, Don? Uh, We had a little snow overnight and flights are canceled and uh, we may have an extended stay in Des Moines. And as we said, everyone's heading to New Hampshire. Reporter Asma Khalid, you're already there. I am, where it's remarkably warm for a February day in New Hampshire. I'm coming to you all from the beautiful Comfort Inn in Manchester, New Hampshire, (laughs) uh, where where I am looking both at the campaign as well as uh, the intersection between demographics and politics. Okay, so let's start first with a quick lightning round. Everyone go around and give me one takeaway from last night. Why don't you start, Ron? Donald Trump, the bully, got a punch in the nose. That is, of course, supposed to be what defeats a bully, what blows up the myth of a bully. And we'll see if he can take a punch. We certainly know he can throw a punch. Now we'll find out if he's really a fighter. How about you, Don? 180,000 Republicans caucused yesterday. That is a huge record. It's 50% bigger than what they saw four years ago when they also had a pretty wild contest here. Uh, Democratic side, also very good turnout, 171,000, but that is like 70,000 lower than the record, uh, 2008. That was a race uh, between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, and uh, some new voters turned out that year. And Asma. Marco Rubio. You know, will he be the savior of the GOP, as a Time magazine cover asked, and as he was asked in the debate the other night, and then quickly pivoted to speak to evangelical voters? Uh, He had a remarkably strong finish out of Iowa, and now as he heads here to New Hampshire, you know, I'm hearing from folks this morning who like sort of some of the traditional establishment candidates, and then folks who are sort of torn between Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. So it seems like he's building a really broad coalition, and I think it'll be tough for any establishment candidate to sort of finagle Uh, some of those voters away from him. Okay, we're going to revisit that. But I first want to just kind of recap what happened on the Democrats' side last night. Clinton was at 49.9 percent. Sanders was at 49.5 percent. A handful of precincts were apparently decided by a coin toss. But the Iowa Democratic Party says Clinton is ahead by four delegates. Ron, can you please explain to me what that means? Here's the problem. We have different kinds of delegates that we're talking about. First of all, these precinct caucuses that were held in Iowa, almost 1,700 of them, they create over 11,000 delegates to the next level. That means they go to the county, then they go to the congressional district, and then they go on to the state convention, which doesn't happen until June. 
And at each of these levels, that number of delegates gets winnowed down from the original 11,000 all the way to about 1,400. And then that is further distilled to the actual 44 delegates to the national convention that were at stake in this process. Now, if you want to start talking about coin flips, deciding a few delegates at that level out of 11,000 delegates coming out of these caucus events, that's getting pretty fine grain. So we'll get into that coin flip. But first on, the Clinton camp calls last night a victory, a squeaking victory, but a victory nonetheless. I mean, the fact that it was so close is this aura of inevitability that's been surrounding Clinton. Is that officially punctured at this point? Here is the important thing for Hillary Clinton. She came here eight years ago, right, expecting to win the Iowa caucuses, and she was defeated by that upstart Barack Obama, and it was the thing that ultimately set him on the path to the presidency. It was such an important win for him, but it was equally devastating as a loss for Hillary Clinton. As close as it was, there aren't actual ballots for us to count. The Republicans mark ballots in their caucus sites. Democrats do not. But the thing that Hillary Clinton was able to you know, have in the forefront of her mind as her plane took off from Des Moines Airport last night was she did not lose. I'm sure she was also thinking she won. But the most important thing was she gets out of here. She did not lose the Iowa caucuses again. Something I'm just curious about, what is this relationship between the Clintons and Iowa? I mean, Don, you mentioned that Hillary took a disappointing third place in 2008. This is where Bill Clinton lost in 1992. Why has this state never fervently embraced Clinton? The party here, the Democratic Party here, uh, has a lot of activists, a lot of liberal activists, and and they do turn out. And they embraced Barack Obama in the same way that they embraced Bernie Sanders this time. And uh, Hillary Clinton uh, has always been an establishment figure, and uh, she was that in 2008. She was that again this time. But all of those things seem to have favored the insurgent or, or the more liberal candidate against Hillary Clinton. Okay, so that coin toss thing. We got some Twitter questions last night about how does that even happen? Why would you ever need to do a coin flip? In certain caucus situations, they came down to having one more odd-numbered delegate to assign. Now, again, this is not out of delegates to the national convention. This is not delegates to the state convention, which we've seen tallied in many of the reports about these caucuses. This is a delegate out of the 11,000 that are going to the next county level. And in some cases, because there was an odd number assigned to that particular precinct, when they came down to a split and they couldn't assign it, they just flipped a coin to assign it to one campaign or the other. They had more than a dozen of these coin flips in various precincts, and uh, some of them went for Bernie Sanders. Apparently more went for Hillary Clinton, but uh, we're not actually sure exactly how many there were, and we aren't sure how uh, the ratio worked out, but it does not appear to have made more than a hair's breadth of a difference. Okay. So on the Republican side of things, we saw Trump lose. The guy who hates losers Lost. He tried to say, like, look, when I was first campaigning here, nobody said I'd even break the top 10. So my second place finish was exceeding expectations. But, of course, it didn't turn out the way he wanted to. Will we see a shift in the momentum of Trump? Is this where that shift begins to happen? Um, He does still have a huge lead in New Hampshire. But, Asma, you're in New Hampshire now. Are you hearing people start talking more about Cruz? Well, I was at this diner. It's a 24-hour joint this morning. And I, 
you know, I will say that I heard a number of people reference Ted Cruz, talk about how much they like him, you know, sort of take that for what it is, a, a sort of diner survey in the morning, the day after the Iowa caucuses. Yeah. But I will say I've been in New Hampshire um, quite frequently this campaign season. I've been here all last week as people's attention was focused on Iowa. And, and I didn't hear that much about Ted Cruz. You know, I was at a GOP debate night watch party last week at a country club, and people sort of joked about Ted Cruz. These were fellow Republicans who made jokes about him during the debate. The names that I sort of heard most frequently mentioned were the traditional establishment candidates, um, Governor Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio. So, you know, I I did hear a People speak more frequently about him this morning. People spoke about why they liked him in in comparison to Donald Trump. Um, but I think the kind of real winner, maybe out of all of this, for at least New Hampshire's sake, is Marco Rubio because you know he's already the name mentioned by folks who like establishment candidates. But now he's kind of the name mentioned in the same breath as Ted Cruz. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how Cruz won in Iowa. I mean, I would say one word I kept hearing last night was turnout, turnout, turnout. But the common perception, the theme that was circulating was that if there was a huge turnout on the Republican side, Trump would be the winner. There was a huge Republican turnout, but Trump was not the winner. Can someone explain what happened? Let me theorize that Donald Trump drove a lot of that turnout either in his favor or in favor of other candidates who are alternatives to Donald Trump. People who really liked Donald Trump obviously turned out and voted for him. People who were afraid of Donald Trump, didn't like Donald Trump, were looking for something different, turned out to vote for an alternative. Some of that went to Marco Rubio, who did better than he had been polling until just the very last few days. But a lot of it went to Ted Cruz, and a lot of it seems to me to have been evangelical voters. We had more than 60% of the people who showed up identifying themselves voluntarily to the entrance pollsters as evangelicals. That was higher even than 2012. So Ted Cruz rode the horse that has been the Iowa horse in recent years. Even back to 2000 when George W. Bush won, he won largely by appealing in a field of others who tried to do so to that evangelical base of the Republican Party in Iowa. Now, here's the caveat. Apart from George W. Bush, who in some sense won in 2000, he won the Electoral College, even though he didn't win the popular vote in November, The others who have won by riding that horse in Iowa since then, Rick Santorum in 2012 and Mike Huckabee in 2008, that did not get them very far. What it did was it got them the lane of being the religious voters alternative to the establishment candidate. Maybe that's enough for Ted Cruz this time around, but he's going to have to get beyond the appeal of the Huckabees and Santorums. And, Ron, I might just add that he worked that evangelical vote even harder than Santorum and Huckabee did. Uh, If you saw Ted Cruz on his bus around the state, especially in the northwest side of the state, it felt like you were at an old-time tent revival meeting with with a gospel bluegrass band and, you know, Dr. James Dobson, the, the, the religious broadcaster, interviewing him or holding forth on stage and the candidate himself just quoting scripture everywhere. And, and can I chime yeah. in one quick thing on turnout here? Um, so I was looking at some data that uh, analyzed youth voter turnout. And one of the interesting things to me on this was that, you know, we hear so much about how important uh, youth voters were in 2008 and the election, you know, where Barack Obama won Iowa. But uh, youth voter turnout yesterday was actually fairly high. The, they were estimates of about 11 percent of people. I'm sure you think, ah, that's really low. But in 2008, it was 14 percent. Mm. And what interested me even sort of more in the breakdown of data was that a record number of young people who voted participated in the Republican caucus. And they favor 
over Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio over Donald Trump. Was there also something about the way Cruz campaigned through Iowa? I mean, Trump came in, held these massive rallies, these massive events, whereas Cruz did what's called like the full Grassley. That's named after Mm -hmm. Senator Chuck Grassley, who's known for his annual ritual of visiting all 99 counties in Iowa. Cruz made a point of visiting all 99 counties. Is there something to be said for that? In fact, he only finished the 99th county on the actual day of the caucuses, but he got a lot of attention for doing that which identified him with the more traditional notion of how you do politics in Iowa, again, setting himself apart from Donald Trump, saying, there's your New Yorker with his New York values and his media-driven campaign and his big showy rallies. And here I am, Ted Cruz, going from county seat to county seat, even if there are only a handful of people there, to say, I'm like you. Good old-fashioned retail politics. Elsa, if I may yeah. say, I am a person who has also done all 99 counties in Iowa. <laughs> oh, my God. How many times? So let's call it the full Gagne instead of the full Grassley, right? <laughs> but, um, but look, Ted Cruz did, uh, these are Des Moines Register numbers, 150 events over a 56-day period. Donald Trump, barely a third of the events and far fewer days. And again, uh, Cruz was in coffee shops. He was in Christian bookstores. Uh, He was in the town square. He was at the local library, whereas Trump was doing the big rally at the big arena or the big theater in whatever town he was in. And given all of that, let's bear in mind, had Ted Cruz not won Iowa, he would be finished for all intents and purposes because it's then very difficult to see how he repairs his situation in New Hampshire or South Carolina or in the states that come thereafter other than Texas. Okay. Well, New Hampshire is just one week away. Um, I'm going to be heading over there. Uh, so tell me, like, how are the voters different in New Hampshire than in Iowa? Explain to me what different notes these candidates will have to hit in New Hampshire that they didn't quite hit as much in Iowa. I think on the Republican side, one voter kind of explained this to me very clearly the other night. I was at this New Hampshire GOP um, debate night watch party. And when it was all done, I asked him, you know, what did you think? And he said, well, they talked a lot about faith and ethanol. And so, you know, as you move here to New Hampshire, topics of faith are just not as as relevant. New Hampshire is an extremely secular state, one of the least religious states in the entire country. It's sort of a more traditional Republican state. I think economic issues are very important here, as well as issues around immigration and national security. Okay, and I guess that's what I don't get, is that's what I've been hearing, too. New Hampshire is a place where moderate or more establishment candidates tend to do better. It's where Jeb Bush says he wants to reset the race. So if that's the case, why are Trump and Sanders pulling way ahead in New Hampshire? For different reasons. Uh, Trump, I think, has an appeal to the secular Republican who is upset about immigration, who is upset about the United States uh, national security situation, international situation vis-a-vis Russia, vis-a-vis ISIS. And the Sanders case, you have to factor in that Vermont and New Hampshire are almost lobes of a particular consciousness. I mean, they are obviously (laughs) rivalrous in some respects. They share a very long border, but people go back and forth across that border a lot, and he has a lot of New England kind of chops in the way he talks, in the way he appeals to people, and he has been in the New Hampshire media forever, for decades and decades. They're familiar with him. He's one of their own local mindset politicians. And look for Donald Trump on the Republican side to be wrapping himself in that flag, that flag that says live free or die, uh, license plates too. Uh, So that says a little something there as well. It's tough to wrap yourself in a license plate, but he'll try. (laughs) (laughs) See, I find that so interesting because that, that, that Sanders has pulled so ahead 
of Clinton at this point in the race in New Hampshire, because I remember descending into New Hampshire the day after Sanders, you know, appeared on the shores of Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont, and made that grand speech kicking off his campaign. It was the day right after he was in his neighboring state. I was walking down the streets in Concord, and I met so many more Hillary Clinton supporters than Bernie Sanders supporters. And people were telling me, well, that's because we like establishment candidates. We like moderates. You know, Sanders is just the kind of candidate we don't embrace in this state. And it's just amazing to me what the polls say now between Sanders and Clinton. That may have also been before Hillary Clinton began running into some of the headwinds that she's been running into in terms of the national news with respect to her emails, with respect to all of the things that have arisen around Bernie Sanders to make him almost a kind of mythic figure on on the uh, activist side of the Democratic Party. So I guess, can you guys just give me some perspective on timing? You know, there's now all these predictions about what is going to happen, how the shape of the race is going to change given what happened last night. But we are still really, really, really early in this journey, right? Uh, I think reality check. I would have to say it almost looks at it depends like which race you're looking at. I mean, I have to sort of solidly keep pushing back on the idea that if Bernie Sanders does really well in Iowa and, and pulls off a win in New Hampshire, then in that some way fundamentally rejiggers the race. Um, I mean, it could. It could give Bernie Sanders tremendous momentum as we go on. I just think that the electorate that we're seeing increasingly in Iowa and New Hampshire doesn't really reflect the Democratic electorate writ large. Look, it was a good day for Ted Cruz. So he's he's going to be around. We know that. It was a very good day for Marco Rubio. He exceeded expectations uh, significantly in Iowa. That's always a good thing, even if you're in third place. And uh, and he has opportunities moving forward. It was not a good day for Donald Trump. It'll be interesting to see how he follows that up in New Hampshire, but uh, we'll be watching him very closely. Uh, the question is, uh, can he truly turn people out to vote to support him, uh, especially when they have other viable options that maybe are our are, are, are looking better today. So so can I just ask, how good or bad was Monday night for Hillary Clinton? The Clintons are very good at making the most of a difficult situation. And when Bill Clinton was running for the first time in 1992, and he finished second in New Hampshire, he got up early in the evening and said, tonight, New Hampshire has made Bill Clinton the comeback kid. Well, number two wasn't too bad for him, but it sounded as though he had won. And very few Americans today remember that Paul Songus actually won the New Hampshire primary in 1992. So they are good at making the best of the voters' memory of a particular event. That seemed to be partly what they were trying to do when they got out early, interrupting Ted Cruz's speech, preempting Bernie Sanders' speech, and getting out there before it got too late on the East Coast to put their spin on what happened in Iowa in this particular instance. Now, that doesn't necessarily dispose of the question of whether or not it was a tie or a win, but it does enable her to leave an image in voters' minds that is not entirely negative. If she had lost clearly, if she had lost by two, three, four percentage points, that I think would have been a much more seriously hobbling result out of Iowa. So then the flip question that, Ron, is, is does this was this a win for Bernie Sanders, or did he not achieve as much as people had expected him to possibly achieve? It would have been better if he had knocked her to the canvas. It would have been better if she looked less like she had survived Iowa, which had become a trap for her because she had led in the polls there for months and months and months. We should say that again. Bernie is absolutely right. He came from nowhere in Iowa to essentially tie at the end. And, you know, it's like almost winning a swimming meet where you come in a tenth of a second slower (laughs) when you weren't supposed to be competitive. You can take a certain moral victory view of that. 
But then moral victories don't get you the nomination. There's still one person on the podium in first place. There's still one person in Bernie's way. Okay, that's it for now. We'll have much more on the week's political news in our roundup on Friday. Between now and then, follow our coverage online at npr.org, find us on Twitter, or tune in to your local public radio station. I'm Elsa Chang, congressional correspondent for NPR. Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. I'm Don Gagne, saying so long to Iowa, at least until Donald Trump buys that farm. Hey, Don, which (laughs) one is your favorite county? (laughs) That's a good question. That's a good question. I think I'm a fan of Polk County. That's Des Moines. And I'm Asma Khalid, campaign reporter. And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.